But during the application, you are really thinking about a lot of stuff about your own business in this case of YLI. And you see, hey, I need to still figure this out for my business. Hey, I need to still work on this. So that's, that's kind of the process I went through the first time applying for an opportunity. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us back for a brand new edition of Social Confos. I'm Shalik Fashanante, and right next to me is my co-host, Diego Amarali. Diego, how are you doing today? Doing good. Change the light up a bit. It's my other light sense. I haven't been able to fix it yet, but I'm doing good. It's been a, I'd say a pretty okay start of the week. Can't complain, but... I am happy, actually hyped, excited that we can have another fun conversation with a guest again today. And I think just to briefly give the introduction, you know, a few months ago, I was in the Young Leaders of America's initiative program, and he's also an alumni from last year. He's from Suriname. And I actually met Ruiz, that's Ruiz Cartoreja, Ruiz. I think six, seven years ago now, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. And it was, I think an event in Doradica. I'm not sure if it was a social media event, one of the very first social media events before the, the social media conference once, or was it another type of IT event? Cause there was, were, were a lot of events those years and interestingly, he approached me like high energy, everything. I think, you know, Ruiz, like, you know, hi, uh, this is, uh, with his card and it said Jamur, some Jamur Institute or something. Yeah, he was already, yeah. he was already starting with it and he was looking for people to build, you know, uh, a platform or a website to kick, kick it off. Fast forward, like seven years now, he has that platform built. Uh, we will dive a bit into that on how that process was. And basically all the experiences he's been through. And one reason I really wanted to discuss, you know, he's high energy and he always shares opportunities and scholarships, exchange programs. I think he was also an ambassador for youth opportunities one year. He can mention that himself, but for everyone listening in and saying, you know, there's not many opportunities of art or they know of opportunities, but don't know where to start. Ruiz, any opportunities to talk about? Any opportunities on education? Any opportunities on work? It's, it's Ruiz who is there for us. So Ruiz, welcome to Social Conference. Yeah, basically Ruiz, the inspirator, Cartoridge. Yes. Let's check it out. You. Thank you very much, Diego and Charlotte for having me for the episode. Yeah, here I am. And also welcome to all the people that tuned in. Share this one and let's talk about those scholarships and opportunities for everybody to, to grow. Yeah, let's do this. Okay, but, but to kick it off, you quickly changed your name while you're back <laughs> backstage to, you know, Ruiz Cato, the Inspirator. Tell us the story on, you know, Inspirator. I remember taking a photo <laughs> for you, you you're branding a shirt too, but what's the story behind this? So um, I, I think it's, it was about two or three years ago when a lot, or four years ago eventually, where there was a lot 
happening around us. And, you know, people are telling me also that, hey, you're very inspirational and energetic. Inspire, empower people to do positive things, you know. And I wanted to bring that kind of stuff one step forward through social media. And that was also the step to be more active on social media. Uh, and then I posted on my personal account as for, uh, I put a post uh, asking if it's okay for somebody like me to create uh, a public figure or a motivational speaker page. And I also asked them what kind of topics they would like me to share. And yeah, it went viral. A lot of people commented and then I filtered it. I analyzed all these comments uh, and then I started Inspifaders. Uh, Inspifader is just a combination for inspiration and motivator. So, and I just, yeah, I combine those two words and that is how I, yeah, motivational, that's the name that I, I use. Now I've reached already uh, 5,000 connections, connections on my personal account. So that's more reason why I chose to edit my name to the Inspifader so people can follow me on that page. Okay, but quickly to jump in. So inspiration or motivation? Yeah. Like which one comes first or which one would you say like you are more associated with? Inspiration. That's that's the ultimate goal because I I want and I am inspiring other people. Doesn't matter if you're you're an adult or a student or but my my main focus actually is the youth and young professionals through this page. But anything extra is welcome. I, I just want to help contribute to the positive development of, of people individually, the country, companies, name it. I would say more inspirational, but the, 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 the face being inspirational is to be motivated myself as an individual. And that's kind of the way I'm working. So to link this to, you know, you said you focused on, you know, the, the youth and young professionals to bring this, this back to Jamur. I think you told me Jamur means mushroom in Bahasa, was it? Yes. And yeah. the, well, when you told me that it kind of clicked immediately. So can you tell us the story on Jamur, why and how you started this like seven, six years ago when we first met? It's kind of a, a great story looking back. So I think many people can relate to this. I, I always wanted to have a business, my own business. And the question was, what kind of business? What do you want to do? And I tried, I think four or five things, you know, spent money and failed. Uh, and then I, I was like very down at the moment. And I, I told myself one last time, try one last thing. Let's see what's going to happen. And, but before going to that for, I did some, you know, some self-reflection, uh, on myself, you know, uh, what, what am I good at? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my interests? What's happening, happening around me? So I mapped everything out and then I said, Hey, this is where I want to be with students and youngsters, young professionals with my company. And then the next question was, okay, what are you going to do? I always. Yeah, wanted to educate others, inspire others to do good things, to contribute to the knowledge uh, development, etc. And then I came on Jamur Institute. About the name, yes, actually Jamur uh, means mushroom in Bahasa Indonesia. That's uh, the traditional language of Indonesia. And I always wanted something like, you know, like a umbrella kind of a way where it protects you. A lot of things can, can, can be protected under umbrella, something like that. 
And the mushroom kind of has that, you know, that kind of that form. That's why I chose Jamur Institute. And a mushroom is also described as something to guide you in the right way. So that's, you can, you can relate a lot of things to that. And what I'm doing that uh, in the sense of educating people, training, coaching, guiding them in, in, in school things, professional business work. So that's kind of the way we are working with Jamur. It, 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 it was like five, four or five months before coming on that name. So it was kind of, it, it took time. It, it was a process. I, I, yeah. yeah, I definitely understand it. And you said, you know, before getting to that point, you, you did a lot of self-reflection, did, you know, map everything out. But can you tell us uh, a bit about the things you tried, the, the things you lost money on, kind of how that, like, how were you shooting and what was different then? Well, uh, I started with, I wanted to do photography and uh, because I saw a lot of friends doing photography and it was kind of fun, you know, capturing the, the, the memorable moments of people. And also for, for my educate, my bachelor, my bachelor, bachelor program at Ahakasio, I also needed to invest in some gears, you know, some, yeah, you know, the photo, the, the, the. Some camera panel, some cameras, cameras, some lighting, and I invested in that. Instead of one, I bought two complete sets to Amazon, and I started, you know, going to parties, doing some shooting, memorable making photos, and then the, the hard part starts by filtering all those 500, 600, 800 pictures, editing if needed, putting your logo, and I was like, no, that's not something for me. It was too intense for me. And suddenly I, I, I was losing interest in, in that kind of business. So, but I still use those cameras. I still have one left, the other one already broke. Um, and the other thing was like cleaning places for people, their homes. I started with people from the neighborhood and that's also because I wanted to be more independent from my parents. So I was looking to do things my own, but that also because it was too intense also working in very hot temperature outside and doing the cleaning. Another thing was wanted to start a platform also that has to do with real estate, with housing, uh, renting houses for people, something like Airbnb model. And yeah, people didn't have trust in it because they wanted to let me have some commission. I mean, I'm recruiting customers for you. So why don't you want me to have at least 10% commission of that, you know, and that also failed. There are two others. And then, yeah, those are kind of the, the things that I tried, but so I, 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 I really sat down, hey, got thinking like, okay, what are you doing? Why did it, did it, it work? Did it have the passion for those things actually? And then, yeah, I started with Jello. Were you like trying these things full times, like looking for opportunities, like in things like I want to try this, you see demand for this, or was it more like, yeah, I need income for you. Did you have a, a fixed job uh, aside from that? Or were you just trying different things full time? Um, I was, I was, I was still a student and I didn't have any job yet. And I've just tried to have something to earn, to be more independent uh, from my parents. That's why I started doing those things. Before we quickly jump in, in depth, more in depth, why did you choose to start, try to start businesses over working for a company as a student? Yeah. So I was still young and also my parents, they were like restricting me in some kind of way 
to start working, you know, having an official job at a company. I know I can remember that one of the, one of the times I told my, my mother that I wanted to do some jobs in, in, in the vacation period. And she was like, no, I give you everything. Why do you want to work this and that? I was like, okay, that, that was the moment or one of yeah, the biggest moment which it clicked. And I, I thought, okay, what am I going to do? Because I, you're growing, you're a teenager. You want to do, start doing things yourself and earning some money, being more independent from your parents. And when I started doing that, she saw that, okay, he's trying something. He's trying to be more responsible for the things he does and wants to do. And that is kind of the way which opened up my, my you know, like my parents' perspective. Uh, started working at a company. Uh, my first official job was at Sarai's Bakery. I was a, 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 an all-rounder. And, but she was okay with that. She was like, you know, I was bringing bread and cakes and she was like, oh, thank you. So, so that's kind of it. <laughs> so what I think is interesting about your story, you mentioned a couple of jobs. And I think photography, everybody has been in the situation of, oh, I'm a photographer now because I'm a camera. Everybody had it. It really kind of boomed like 10 years ago. Like everybody was like really into photography. The interesting part about that is I think the skills that you learn from trying that as a profession in social media, it definitely helps. But also that you mentioned the one of cleaning and real estate are things that when youngsters like when you talk as young people and you're like, okay, where can I get It's Like, hey, nobody wants to do this. So there's an, an area of cleaning where you can make a lot of money or you should be in real estate because they say like, hey, if you want to earn money, the first thing you should do is real estate. Now, even on YouTube, it's, it's even bigger now. So I feel like that's, that's kind of like a very normal trajectory to, 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 say, the, to say the least. And I find it really interesting to see how you've, kind of crowdsourced ideas at a certain point saying like, okay, I'm just going to go to Facebook and ask like, would I be accepted for this? What are your ideas on that? And work from, from that. And I think that really strengthens also wanting to do something. And also, I don't want to go too good to follow but a mushroom has a lot of, a lot of positive things you can mention about it. Shamil actually mentioned like some med- mushrooms are medic- medical. You can strengthen the immune system. So in a way, Jabur is it strengthens and develops. Can it your answer be Yeah, it has medical. It has medical benefits. It oh, it has so. it has many layers. It has many layers. But I mean, yeah. like if you if you are familiar with the blue economy and goods are folly and making, I think coffee mushrooms as well, those kind of things. So there's so many different layers to it. So when when I first personally heard about you or met you was kind of through social media, because at a certain point you were everywhere, like and, and in a positive way, actually. We talk a lot about consistency and the importance of being consistent and posting, continuous posting and just being there. And I don't know if you remember, Luis, but there was a year we were both nominated for communications a person of the year award. Yeah. And after, no, we, we didn't, we, neither of Diego, by the way, neither of us won. But after uh, the award ceremony was over, I went up to Ruiz and I was like, I really felt that you should have won it this year. And the reason for that being is like these kind of awards, internationally, they go to the person who performed the best that year. It's sort of a kind of a legacy award. So people that win it often, they have a long history of like 10, 20 years being in the business and because this is the first time kind of they have to, they, they, the award is there for their category 
they kind of with it. Like we had a big discussion on the Uriari Awards one time about it because it was Gail Eggs, like peak year. She just brought out a book and everything. But the jury went for Hank van Fleet because more of a legacy, how much he had achieved. And, and similar with the situation Ruiz and I were in, I was already to be happy to be nominated. I wasn't that active, but Ruiz was like over the, I think you won every GCI award there was yeah. possible to win that year. And you were the most active on social media and you were everywhere. And I went to somebody else. And I do want to touch upon, because you also mentioned you became aware I had to be more active on, on social media. So what was the process for you like from, from starting a business to really being open and communicative online and sharing everything and almost to the point that, you know, other people are like, oh, that's oversharing and you shouldn't post that much. And you get a lot of those kind of feedback as well. So how did that process go from like saying like, okay, I have a business, I have to be there to like really making it almost like a personal brand and getting all these, yeah, uh, in, in Dutch we say, like a lot of people talking about you negatively and positively as well. And how was that process for you? Yeah, so I, I had those those comments and it was about it was about why why do I really wanted to be more active on social media as a brand, as as instigator, as just an individual, but also on the other side as the business Jamur Institute. So the why and what am I actually going to communicate to social media? Because you want to contribute to something and that's something needs to be, uh, needs to lead to, you know, people getting something from it. If it's something they, they, you know, like changing their mind to think about something or, or, or triggering them to really go through something. That's kind of the process I went to. It took some time to really sit down and think about, okay, what am I going to do on social media? Which platforms I'm going to use? I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, in LinkedIn, and also Twitter. But Twitter, I, I'm still struggling with Twitter and uh, how to use it and utilize that. Uh, it's a different um, breed. <laughs> yeah, kind of a different. It's a different breed. It's really yeah. different. But it's, it's uh, not locally focused. That's, not, that's no TikTok yet. No TikTok yet. I tried. I <laughs> I tried TikTok like four or five times, and all of the all of those times I deleted it again. I don't know. I I I'm not really confident and uh, with that platform yet. I think I really need to do some more research on how to utilize it within the context of, of the Instigator, but also in the context of Jamur Institute of what we are doing. I think that will be the next step when I'm going to download the, 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 the app again. But I, I tried, I tried to like it, to love it, but it is still not nothing for me. We'll, we'll, discuss, we'll discuss some ideas in yeah. a second. I, I, I have some ideas that can work perfectly. So we will be, we'll I really love that. Well, as, as well as Twitter, and then you have to, to convince Diego and I to be more active on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, how, is, how is your experience personally? No, no, it's interesting because you mentioned different platforms. So how is your, let's, let's compare three, three platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. What is your experience like from, especially from your expertise on those three platforms? How, how, how different are they when, when you consider them in the story? I'm not going to lie. They all, they have their own target group. We all know, okay, Facebook is very crowd, crowded right now, but still most of the students and youth are on Facebook and, and Instagram. 
And that's why I'm trying to utilize it, especially through Jamo Institute with the things we do. And, but LinkedIn, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. LinkedIn brings me the big projects and, you know, because you have business people there, you have big corporations. And also the, the thing I was struggling with at the beginning was if I post something on Facebook and Instagram, I'm going to post it also on LinkedIn, but I need to, I need to revise the text. Because the way you communicate on Instagram and also Facebook uh, is very different um, with the way you communicate with the audience on LinkedIn. And it needs to be more professional. It needs to be more, uh, you know, like it needs to connect with, 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 with your audience on that platform. And I'm not going to lie, the biggest projects, uh, the biggest business deals uh, came, came through LinkedIn. Uh, and I, I really love LinkedIn. So on that note, like just... To illustrate or visualize for people listening in, how much time do you spend or like, what does it look like when you, you know, go to post something? Picture, how do you decide on the text? How, how do you like shape all of that before posting? Like what's the time investment and like the work look like actually? So I'm the one doing everything at the moment. Yeah. So I would say, let's start with the frequency, the frequency on, of posting on those different platforms on, on Instagram and Facebook, I do it between three times and five times a week. And on LinkedIn, I do it, let me see, two to three times. As long as, as long as I see, okay, this post was like two days ago and I, I'm creating another post. So as long as the, the, the previous post is like two days old. I'm coming with a new, I'm coming with new content and decided on what to, what to, to share on those platforms. Sometimes, most of the times I have sessions, most of the times I have projects ongoing, which I share through the and also Jamur Institute and the way you like, you're, I am more flexible in, in the text and the message that I need to create on Instagram and and Facebook is like more open, but that same text I'm trying to reorganize and revise in a more direct and business uh, way on LinkedIn. Uh, is, because if that is skill you can you got from your journalistic background in Ahaka SEO, or is it <laughs> like yes, what yeah. had an advantage? Yeah, it's a skill and 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 like insights of the journalism communication. Uh, program, bachelor program I had at uh, Casio because um, you have things like creative writing, you have things like the structure, you have things like what's the message, uh, how to capture the reader's uh, attention within the first one, two or three sentences. So those are things that we've learned um, at Casio and that was kind of a very big advantage for me on utilizing these platforms uh, when creating content. And oh yeah, but about the time, how much time? It depends on what I want to post. If it's something with a flyer or anything, then I'm just designing it in Canvas. And it's like, Oof. and it would take a minimum of 90 minutes to two hours to, you know, choose, choose an image or create a flyer. And the, the hardest part is like the text, you know, sometimes I'm writing the text first in draft in Word, uh, and then I'm just leaving it and after a 30 minutes, I'm going back to check if everything's okay. And then it happens where I revise everything again, because I think, yeah, the message is not clear. This word is kind of offense. This word is kind of too emotional for people. So that, those are kind of things that I'm considering mentioning in the text, 
because you don't want to hurt people to a certain extent because the message is, is like the, the, the topic of what you need to communicate. So, and then you're doing this consistently at least three to five times a day for three different platforms, right? While being it, conscious. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's a full-time job almost. So I think that's one of, that's one of the things that gets underestimated. And I'm happy you, you mentioned 90 minutes because people don't understand. And I get upset when it takes me 30 minutes to create a TikTok. So you can imagine that at a certain point, you're going to be like, hey, is it worth it 30 minutes a day for one channel? Which means that two hours a day, if you wanted to build multi-channel marketing, and then it becomes two hours a day, and you start realizing, like, wait a minute, I just lose two hours a day. But on the other side, what you mentioned, the effect that it has, and the amount of people that come in. But I'm also glad that you mentioned revising the text, because currently I'm working with a team too. So that's why I'm actually quite quiet on social media at the moment, is because I'm, I'm planning a a well-balanced return and I don't want to fall back. So when I start, I don't want to be like after three months, like, okay, it dies down. Again. And one of the things that we discussed today with, with, the, with my main project manager who's working on, on the brand is positive text. Like, like there are certain ideas and then they get brought to me, but they are written in a, in a text that's like, it's how we would talk in a general conversation, but it wouldn't work. If you posted it on, on social media, not that it would get canceled from it, but definitely it's not positive enough that the words would, would work. And I'm glad that Diego also brought in the, the aspect of the journalistic background. Do you feel that we are in Suriname already enough aware of the importance of the text that goes with the facial on social media? Where do you think we stand on the scale from zero to 10 about awareness of the importance of, of text on, on social media? Honestly, I would say we are at a six. I'm going to be really honest with you. And why I say a score of six is that one what, what what of the, the things that I mostly read about on social media or it just passes on my timeline is that some people just say, hey, it's my account and I'm just posting what I want. Or even business pages, companies, when they post something and then I look at it, I look at the content, I look at the picture and I was like, that's not, that's not that a good one to, to, to write something like that. It, it, it's important to, to reconsider the, the thing or the, the text that you want to post or publish anywhere. And again, and I, I'm linking again with, with the message that you want to bring out there. So what's the message? And the message you can bring in many ways. And, and, and the way you are going to write the story to, to that demonstrates your message really needs to be related to who are you posting it on a for? Is it students? Is it uh, business professionals? What, what, what needs to be the result of that post? Do you want people have you know positive reactions and everything like that? But again, there is enough room for improvement. People can do better with that. And, and, uh, and once again, uh, they just say, hey, it's my, it's my profile. I'm just posing what I want. If it's bad or, you know, certain words. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let it be. Okay, we, we, before we continue, because we have to move on to the ambassador James Ford, uh, Shift Ford and other things. There's a discussion that we're currently having with multiple people, including clients internally. And it has to do with like you just mentioned, people say, but it's my handle. 
Like on Twitter, for instance, a lot of international like management in bigger companies, they say, my tweets are my own saying like, listen, I know I work for this company, but what I say is like my own opinion. It does not reflect the company that I work for. And this has been a hot topic as well, especially on Facebook, where we're not that Twitter centric in Twitter, but on Facebook, like to what extent could you say to your employees, like, listen, <laughs> your profile is public. If it has your name on it and you're linked somehow to your company, you have to buy the rules or would you say like, okay, listen, you're allowed to have like, you, you can work for our company, but you have to be either have your account, not be your name, or you are not allowed to defend people like your clients and people you work with. You both, you have worked for bigger companies, like in, in, in management roles for bigger companies, and you've been an entrepreneur yourself. How, how do you, how is your approach about it? And is it different? When it's a small company versus when it's a big company. I don't think there's no any difference. It, it, it has the same effect. When I was working for the other third big company with, with six or seven different departments in Suriname, it, it, I was kind of using my, my brand, my personal brand in accelerating and utilizing sales and marketing purposes for the company. Because, you know, people trust me as Ruby's cartridge. And if I will do something bad or negative, people will still relate you with every organization that you're in. It doesn't matter if I just post and say, hey, this is my profile. I get, I'm saying what I want to say. If, it, if it's bad words or anything like that, it doesn't affect the organizations I'm part of. Still, people will relate you. They will say, oh, Luis from Jamur. Oh, Dave from this. Oh, Sean from Social Compost. Look at those guys. And they work, and they try to inspire others. What kind of example are you setting there? So people are under, underestimating that kind of stuff that it, it, it gives you a very big advantage when you have a very positive profile or track record on social media, which you can use for either the company you work for or your own business. In, in the beginning, people were like, Oh, it's Luis from Jamur, you know, a uh, kind of a Steve Jobs and Apple context. They were like, yeah. think, if you think of Steve, Steve Jobs, you know, Apple. And if you're thinking about Ruiz, it was directly related to Jamur Institute. And throughout the years, I was, and I'm still kind of trying to change that perspective now because Jamur is Jamur. But I used that as an advantage in the beginning to level up my company, to bring more awareness about Jamur Institute and also everything that I do. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of it, how it worked. It has the same effect in my opinion and based on my experience and it worked. Yeah. So basically what I'm hearing you say is that people could actually, depending on their activity, presence, brand, personal, call it personal brand, what you will, online, they could potentially leverage that to value add to the company or even apply for a job at a company based yeah. on past social online experience or history. Yeah. You could leverage that. Yeah. Yeah. And right? even, even, even based on you know, the topic for today, which we will zoom in later about uh, the scholarship and opportunities, when you apply for those things, they do of, like some, some due diligence. That due diligence is, is a kind of too big, but they are checking your, 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 your social. Yeah. They're, uh, yeah. they're checking everything. Okay, so so first first of all, the the using your your brand for for the purpose of the company that you work for, there is there is somebody a speaker called Jill Jill Rowley. I think I met Jill for the first time in two thousand fourteen. 
And Jill Rowley is specialized in the concept of social selling. Saying like, listen, everybody in your company, from the CEO to the people that clean your filets, they're all the brand of the company. Whereas in like in the earlier years, like uh, decades ago, people would go directly to a certain department of the company who ask questions, but now they can, through social media, ask anybody a question that works for that company. So everybody in that company has to be representable. So I think that's a very interesting topic to, to go about. And then diving into like how that personal brand, because like thing like you're creating an, creating an independent brand, brand identity, how has that brand been a part of the opportunities, the, the ambassadorship opportunities that you've gotten? What's, what's, is there a link between that, that personal brand that you build up and those ambassadorship opportunities? Yeah, there is surely a link with those opportunities or different roles that are available locally, but also internationally. I, I, want, I want to state this because companies or, or organizations with all these positions, they are looking for talented people. They are looking for people that can add value to the role or the, or the position or the organization based on experience, based on social presence, etc. Those are kind of the people they are uh, actually looking for. And when you are applying, when I was applying or am applying, I still apply for a lot of opportunities. Uh, when I apply for all the scholarships and opportunities that are available, uh, most of them, I think 99.5% of all those questions and the whole applications, the whole application, you will see a question where they're asking for your social profiles. You will see questions regarding what kind of content are you posting? You, are, you will see questions where you have to consent with them that you will be posting about the program or the opportunities and putting that in the context, if you have a profile, which is super negative and, you know, using certain words, they don't want to associate their, their brand or their name or their organizations with, with somebody like that. It really gave me a lot of advantage with, with the track record I have right now on social media, because sometimes during interviews, or because some applications, when you move to the next phase, you will have an interview with, with the representatives of the organization. They also state something about your profiles. I can remember for a scholarship for my master program, they were like, we checked your profiles, especially Instagram, and you're quite, you're quite positive person. And that is what we were looking for. Those are the students we are looking for. So. That's one of the examples that I want to throw out here so people can, you know, think about it when, when, when you want to grab all those opportunities, make sure that you have done your homework, for example, your social presence. So I think you made a beautiful link there on, you know, leveraging your social brand and positioning yourself for these kind of opportunities, interviews. And you, you just said it, you know, you're still applying, looking for stuff to apply, learn, exchange, and you're even sharing it. So I want to take a step back to when did you apply or encounter your first, I'm going to narrow it down to international scholarship or exchange program. Like was it through an organization that you just took for something online? How was that? So the, the first effort opportunity that I applied for was the Young Leaders of the Americas Initiative. And that was in 20... That was actually the first one like that yeah. you like really went for? Uh, after, after the first group went and they came and they started, you know, promoting the opportunity and then I applied. But I had Jamur. Jamur was nearly one year old. Uh, I just started Jamur. 
And back then, they didn't really have rules for how long your or how old your startup or company needs to be. But it was kind of here and there with what Jamur was doing. I couldn't really articulate it, put it in text form when doing the application. So I got selected as an alternate. It's, it's something like a waiting list. So when somebody that well is selected falls out, I will get to push forward to take that position. But yeah, it didn't happen. And then I tried again in 2018. Actually in 2019, I tried again because I reflected on, you know, what have I written in the application? Hey, this is, this is not clear enough. Hey, my purpose of the organization is not clear enough. Actually, the app, all those applications, especially of Wiley, the Young Leaders of the Americas Initiative, made it more clear for me to think about like my business vision, mission, or purpose, and those kind of stuff, which worked in the second application, and I got selected. But during the application, you are really thinking about a lot of stuff about your own business in this case of Wiley, and you see, hey, I need to still figure this out for my business. Hey, I need to still work on this. So that's that's kind of the process I went through the first time applying for an opportunity. So basically what I'm getting out of is that it's kind of getting this application form in front of you forces you to think differently or think more consciously about what you're doing and what you're actually applying for, which yeah. in return helps. I think you want to do the program. Yeah. 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 So I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting for people that are watching this or listening to, to the recording. It was Ruiz. The first time Ruiz applied for Wiley. He didn't actually go. The first time Diego applied for Wiley, he didn't go. I applied for DAFO once, World Economic Forum. I didn't go. I wasn't selected. And I think for, for people, it's important to know that you have to, I think we went through this with Moreno as well, Diego, on you really have to take your, your chances. You have to learn from what worked and what didn't work and actually try. And if you're really committed to actually doing it, you will learn from it and you will get better and eventually you get selected for programs. And once you've got a hang of that, you've gotten better. And you have a lot of people who are like, yeah, they kind of want it, but they don't really want it. And then they look like, and like, ah, okay, they just got lucky. Not luck. It's actually- uh, I, I got a question for on that. What, what, what would yeah. you say to someone who's in that position? How, how should they, what should they think about or what should they ask themselves? Like, do I really want it or- like, how should they focus their energy on, do I really want this or not? Or is it just, man, just try? <laughs> yeah. No, no, not just man, just try. Because in the end, or even during the, the process, you will get stuck in the whole application. Or even if it works out, you get selected. And when you are doing the program, you, they will also send something that you're kind of, you know, not energetic or interest, enthusiastic about the program. They are really strict with all those things. When they send something that you aren't really participating, giving your full support or input in the program, they will like call you in a corner and they talk to you like, what's happening? And you need to be conscious about it. What I do or what people need to do is, is this opportunity or scholarship really something for me? And if yes, which part of my, my plans or my business or my professional development, which part uh, does it contribute to, uh, for Wiley, it definitely was uh, mostly about uh, entrepreneurship, uh, for my business and really bringing my business out there, connecting with international institutions. That was my 
mission with, with that, that opportunity. So you need, they need to really think about, is this really something for me? And not just, oh, I just want to travel because it's fully funded and it's kind of fun. No, you are missing chances. Really, you are missing chances. And if you go consciously, uh, you apply consciously, you think, hey, this is really something for me because of this and that, then you will put in uh, more time and effort in filling in the application because filling in an application can take hours or even days because you need, really need to think about a lot of stuff. And coming again, when you've saved, saved your application in draft, just leave it there and come back again and then you will see that you will revise a lot of text again to demonstrate the answers for those questions. So it needs to be a conscious and, and, and uh, a conscious decision uh, when applying for an opportunity. How different or I guess similar was it? Because I, I know you're doing a, a master actually at a university in Indonesia right now, but yeah. you're still here, right? And that, that was also a uh, scholarship application. And I think you also went to the Netherlands for a short exchange for a, a program. Yeah. Like we, we got like the US, uh, Europe, Asia there. Like how similar are differences for these, these processes? Like what you say, like, you, you need a different approach depending on what it is. How was it for you? We, you need a different approach of the kind of scholarship or opportunity you are applying for. For example, if it's a short course, they will ask some kind of different requirements. For example, the, the short course I went to in the Netherlands that was last year in November, they, oh, for, for example, they, they, they asked you about an employer statement because with, within that scholarship, but it's mandatory for them, for all the applicants to provide an employer statement. And that is a statement from your employer, the, where you, you know, the person or company you're working for, that you are aware of the fact that your employer says, hey, okay, I, I am allowing Sean Look to participate in this program. And this is the statement. This is the plan that you know, we are working on. And this is the the contribution or the value that it will have to my company when Sean Luke will participate in the program. So therefore I am confirming or, or you know, giving Sean Luke the opportunity to participate. On the other hand, the, the full scholarship I got from Indonesia, you have other documents because, because it's, it's a longer program of two years and they ask different documentation, for example, your school papers, transcriptions, you have. You need to have English documentation that you are proficient in English. I needed to have also a statement from the, the Indonesian embassy for them for stating that it's okay for me, uh, that they grant me the opportunity to participate. So it's kind of the same process, almost the same questions, almost the same questions, but based on the organization and what kind of opportunity or scholarship it is, they can still ask for something extra, for example, the employer statement. So, so just to interject there, you had a short program and a longer form program. You should also take into account that the time it takes to get all that paperwork in order, because yeah. that's usually a hurdle for a lot of people. You have the online application, yada, 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 but going through the actual process, especially when travel is involved, when, you know, if, if you're going to travel for a year, two years, insurance, health, yeah. liabilities, you need to make sure you, you're prepared to go through all of those things after you're even considered to go. Yeah. So did, did you have to do any, you know, extensive screening? Cause I remember when I, for a while I in New Zealand, for example, you know, you, you had to do a full medical check. You had to 
go back and forth with your doctor, get approval for this. For example, when I went to New Zealand, my driver's license expired. So I had to fix that. I had to go do a TOEFL test online, et cetera, because that's, you know. TOEFL or IELTS. Yeah. So there's a lot of moving parts there that kind of, even if you get through, you're still only like 10% in. Yes. Yes, I, I went through that process definitely and things about, even if it's a short course, I can remember they requested some medical, a medical statement, even for the, my master program, they requested a medical statement from a registered doctor. You know, the doctors, when, when they put their stamp and signature, they have some kind of a code. So those are kind of the, the, the formalities that need to happen. Because... And you need usually, especially where we are, you need to mail these documents physically. Yeah. You need to mail them now. Okay. It, it, once that I have, yeah, it's, it's like, getting more modern, the, but some. Sometimes yeah. they, they, they require for you to, you know, send it to, to mail like plane or boat or anything. I don't know, because it needs to be physical in their hands. But most of the time they, they just request digital forms and documentation. And it takes quite time because I still remember that I needed to trans, I needed to have a transcription of my, uh, my grades. And also a uh, translation of my diploma, my bachelor diploma. And uh, it would take like two to three days. And we had the deadline in, in several days. Uh, and we had the weekend in between. So I was like, I want to apply. Oh, I, want the, I want this master, you know. I was like, okay, going, uh, driving, pop, 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 doing those things. I told the people, I begged those people like, please help me. I need to submit the application within 48 hours, can you translate this for me? Because I need the transcription, things like a letter from the, the embassy. Those are things like that, that took some time and you need to consider that also. So the first thing looking at an opportunity is, okay, what kind of opportunity is it? What is the deadline? Oh, the deadline is XYZ. Okay. What are the things I need for this, for this opportunity? Oh, I have this, I have this, oh, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have this. And you can start planning before applying because you need to upload those documents when you fill it in the application. So now I want to go to, you are kind of collecting now, I'd say resources, links to different opportunities, sharing this online. How do you find this? How can people, aside from going to your profile and facilitator, how can people look for these yourself? Like what's the, how, when you didn't have any resources, what did you do that you found it through friends, family, through organizations that you joined, what, what worked for you and what can people look into alternatives? Uh, the, the first one, I would say that when you are part of some of some organizations, for example, I'm also part of GCI, you know, some opportunities come and go. And the, the moment that you enter a certain professional international network, the, the whole world of opportunities will open up for you. Uh, for example, that's of YLI and, you know, you get a lot of opportunities, uh, a lot of chances to do things. So that I would put that on number one. Number two is that I took the time myself to do the research online because I know, okay, I, I've done a bachelor in journalism and communication and we don't have a master in communication course or program in Suriname. You have to go abroad. So that's also something Jamur is working on to to launch a, a master program in communication in Zulu But I put in the time, I took the time to do the research myself. But there's a big 
but in the role research online, you need to look for which resources are reliable or trustworthy. Because I came across articles and blogs where there were, you know, like things like people or students that tried to apply for something and then they never returned back to their old country. Their parents never heard something again from them, you know, kind of those kind of stuff, never heard again from them. So it wasn't a reliable resource. And, you know, I'm doing some fact checking. I'm checking the websites. I'm checking the, their social profiles. Sometimes if I see they aren't really active on social and even the website is kind of meh. I like, okay, this is coming back to the social brand. <laughs> yeah, coming back to the social brand. So doing your own research, doing my own research brought me to all those opportunities and platforms and channels and networks eventually where I see, hey, if I join this network, I will have a space for those opportunities. If I join this international organization, I will also have the, the, the chance to, to get those opportunities. So yeah, also the, 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 the putting the time in doing my own research, but I know that it's, it's very intense. So that's why I also try to do the research, do the screening, if it's really reliable, and then also share it with other people on my profiles. Gotcha. So make sure to double check, even if it's coming from Ruiz, fact check it. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> also double <laughs> it's never enough to do a, a triple and fourth quadruple check. Just try to check, 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 check. Well, it's also, it's also. Reading the fine print, I think as well, like knowing what's covered and what isn't covered. Because even the most reliable scholarships, in some cases, you don't get a fully funded scholarship. Yeah. And that can be big, a big, very big disappointment as well. But I feel like there is an institution, there's actually an educational institution from the government yeah. used to do this. I don't know what happened to it. I feel there's a lot of opportunities that we miss. So I do want to talk a little bit about that as well. There's so many opportunities. And like one of the things that we don't know is that a lot of times Suriname is eligible, but we don't apply. Yeah. So there are like a lot of programs out there where we can get scholarships, but because we in Suriname don't know about it, we don't apply. And these scholarships go to other countries. And maybe to go to the next topic, Diego, the Latin versus Caribbean topic. Like, how much are we aware in the Caribbean in general, but in Suriname more specifically, of opportunities, scholarship and ambassadors opportunities that there are across the world? Yeah. So uh, sadly, I must say that we aren't aware enough as, as individuals, but also as the, the authorities that we have in Suriname. Also, there are, there are the master, for my master program, my thesis is about scholarship opportunities for Suriname students in the context of communication. And I've done some benchmarking in the region, but also internationally. And one of the things is that those institutions that are responsible for for this, for sharing these opportunities, for communicating these opportunities. They are very active, especially on social media. They are very active through email marketing to, you know, you can, you can subscribe to, to receive more information about us, those, those opportunities. So that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that we have in Surina, but also through the, the, mostly the embassies, uh, but also sometimes through the ministry of, of affairs, but also definitely through the department of facilities and, and scholarships, they don't really 
optimally communicate these kind of opportunities. Sadly, I have to say that because that's, that's something, one of the things I came across to analyze in doing my research. The research is still ongoing, but also, for example, a lot of the opportunities are more on diplomatic level, like because I'm a friend, third nation with Japan or, 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 or the Netherlands, if they sent me the document with those, those uh, opportunities that I am able to communicate it. So that's kind of the way it's going here. Uh, but we can do more than that because the world of scholarships and opportunities is bigger and wider uh, than only the diplomatic ties that we have with other countries. It's interesting that you mentioned it. I think one of the most interesting scholarships I've seen was a full a master scholarship from the World Bank in Japan. I'm, I'm talking about close to 20 years ago now, but that was really like, one of the things was like you, after you've completed your studies, you have to go back to Suriname. Yeah. Like that was, of course, one of, one of the, the main that, That's with a lot of fully funded programs. It's kind of a requirement. Yeah. Basically. So how has that changed? Because, mm -hmm. yeah, I said it, but how has that changed now with COVID? Because in, in your case, you're doing your master's from Suriname. Like how often do you actually have to go to Indonesia and how has this, has COVID brought change to that as well? Whereas like previously when I studied, I had to go to the country, like the, the World Bank Japan scholarship was like, first of all, it was for excellent students. I wouldn't call my grades excellent. So there was already a little chance that I would get selected, but also one of the things that definitely made it for me, like that I wasn't applying was having to go to Japan for two years, which on one hand is like this amazing opportunity. And on the other hand, it's like, hold on, wait a minute. I'm going to be gone for, for, for two years. Yeah. So actually during the COVID period, uh, that's when I applied for the, the master scholarship because you know, COVID everyone, you are mostly at home, uh, you are doing a lot of stuff that you are doing already a little extra. And then you're like, okay, what now? And that uh, I'm going to, during COVID, I spent, also spent more time doing research for opportunities and, and scholarships and, you know, core, doing online courses just to stay on track. The requirement actually for the, the master program of communication science that I'm doing right now is that we needed to travel to Indonesia, but because it was COVID and Indonesia still had restrictions for international students entering Indonesia. The first two semesters were online. When you also apply for a scholarship, even if it's online, you need to consider the time difference. Time difference from Suriname and, and Indonesia is like, I think 10 or 11 hours. So right now it's 10 PM in Suriname and there is like 12 PM uh, in the afternoon, uh, I think, or 8 AM, something like that. So. Our classes in Suriname were like 3, 3 a.m. in the morning. And you need to consider that if you definitely really want to do the scholarship, and because you need to put in the effort of getting up like 1 a.m. to be ready at 3 p.m., 3 a.m. to sit in front of your laptop or computer to do the online sessions. But now the, 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 the restrictions are like, they are letting a lot of restrictions down the government of Indonesia. And recently received some information that we need to submit a lot of documents again, because we need to travel to Indonesia for the rest of the, the scholarship program. I think we still have two semesters. So actually they also stated that we needed to be there by August. And I was like, oh no, 
I have a business and I need to sort a lot of things, you know, plan, put a lot of things in place before traveling. So when, <laughs> when is like the ultimate date for me to travel to Indonesia? And they were like, October could be okay. But I needed to check that with my, my thesis supervisor and she was okay with that. So if everything's uh, going well with the documentation, student permit, student permit, we will be traveling in October to Indonesia. And I think we still have around of six to eight months that we will be there. One thing I'd like to add, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that you, you know, kind of pushed back. They said you need to be here by August, but you, you kind of negotiated that. If you do get these opportunities and you see certain restrictions, challenge them also. Write the organization directly to see what's possible. Because oftentimes, they will kind of try and accommodate where possible. And that also shows how serious you are. Like, hey, it's, it's clashing into personal or business for, for this supplier or student. Like, and, not a free ride. I actually have yeah, to do this stuff. Exactly. So... That's, that's, a, that's a valid point. That's a valid point. But even, even during the application, filling in the application, you can just send them an email. That's some kind of a trick. Just send them yeah. an email to, to ask them a question, even if you don't need the answer, but you're sending the email, but just to demonstrate that, hey, I really want this, but I need more information. Um, yeah. And also to create work. that link relationship also yeah. preemptively. Yeah, kind of yeah. tips and tricks here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You are preemptively okay. networking and that you're in their radar already. Yeah. Applying, uh, applying for programs, uh, one-on-one. And by Diego. Diego, we uh, have to go towards the over-under. Yeah. So it's time we wrap up. So I think kind of already over the hour, just over the hour. So I think we'll keep it short to each. We're going to ask you, give you a topic. You tell us if you think it's overrated, underrated. It's your personal opinion. And you, you may or may not, if you want to elaborate a bit on it, why you think it's uh, over or underrated. So why don't you kick off us, kick us off and look with overrated. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a fun one to start off with. Ruiz. Real estate in Suriname, overrated or underrated? Underrated. Yeah. You get to know a lot more about that. And actually I'm also planning in, in context of Jambu to expand into real estate. Yeah. Went into real estate <laughs> because no, seriously, because you know you are kind of all all the experience that I all the experience that I've gained the past years connecting with people doing some research in that context of real estate, but also the challenges that we have right now in Suriname about housing and, and real estate. For example, also the booming oil and gas industry where a lot of expats from other cultures will come to Suriname. We need to do more with real estate if it's if it's buying piece of land, if it's, if it's renting a villa or anything, we need to do more of that. And also, okay, Jamur is more educational related. So it's most likely that we will focus on that part for students to have a place to stay or live in eco-friendly. Yeah. Because we talk about Jamur and Mushroom, eco-friendly, and we kind of also shifting towards that context. <laughs> You just mentioned, you actually gave me an idea. The oil and gas opportunities, overrated or underrated for Suriname? They still are underrated. Yeah. Why do I say that is there needs to, people underestimate the opportunities that are, that lie in front of us regarding the oil and gas. And is it the opportunities that are underrated or is it the oil and gas industry that is underrated? 50-50, 50-50. 
50-50. Because like, listen, like the opportunities are there, but they don't quite really communicate those opportunities well, but they are there. But and on the other side, people need to put in more time and effort in searching for what kind of opportunities can there be in that industry? And how can I, with my expertise and my interests, can contribute within that industry? For example, I have a journalism and communication background. I could, not that I think about it, but I could, for example, write blogs about the oil and gas industry and the opportunities within that industry in Suriname to bring more awareness, for example. Hey, actually, I, I, I think about it. So that's one of the things. So people need to individually take more effort and time to really research about this industry and try to reflect on that based on their own expertise, based on their own professionalism, on how can I do something or contribute within this industry. But still, they are underrated. Yeah, interesting. So let's move to a little bit more of a social media topic. YouTube as an educational platform. Overrated or underrated? YouTube as an educational platform. It is, I would say overrated. Why do I say that? Let me narrow it down. A lot of things, knowledge, examples, you can find on YouTube, right? But my opinion is that it's really overhyped because how many people really use YouTube to educate themselves? themselves? How many people? I, I know one of the, I was at a networking event and I was organizing or planning to organize some, some, some trainings about presentation techniques and public speaking. And that's my expertise, especially. And someone approached me and, and the person said, Hey, you're the guy that conducts public speaking and presentation trainings. I was like, yeah, that's me. And the person was like, but people can find all that information on the internet and also YouTube. So what's the, what's the value of you doing these trainings? And then I was like. I countered with another question. So I was asking the person, are you going to school? He was, she was like, he was like, yes. And I was like, your, your world program, you can find online also. And they were like, okay, you can find it quality on YouTube also. But people don't, especially in Suriname, maybe when you're stuck at something or a, a, a task or anything, you can, I'm, I'm also approaching YouTube, but I have a feeling it's, uh, uh, it's not. Uh, research based, but uh, based on my experience and my observation, I have the feeling that uh, it's overrated and people don't really use that for really educational purposes. Last one to close this off. Spanish, underrated or overrated? You really went there, Diego. It's, I would say it's overrated. It's overrated because based on the topic we are focus right now, the most common requirement, for example, is English. And also if you research on online, English will still be the number one most spoken language worldwide. English is the number one most spoken language in business, in networking. And yes, speaking Spanish is really nice. And some people even, even say it's sexy, it sounds sexy, but it's, it's kind of overrated. It's kind of overrated. Really? provide a lot of opportunities for you when you speak Spanish, if even you need to speak a lot of English, for example. But still, I also will do the Spanish courses because I, you know, I want to broaden my horizon, my horizon, but it's, it's overrated. Awesome. 
Ruiz, we're a bit over time, but uh, appreciate you for staying and bearing with us a bit with these juicy unders and overs. <laughs> so to, to close us up, Ruiz, what can people expect uh, from Jamur and from you as the inspirator in the short term and where can they find you? Yes, they can find my company Jamur on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We also have a website, Jamur, Jamur Institute of Education and Advice. It will be the first thing popping up because it's the only one in Suminalo. Optimize for sure. Optimize. Google it. Yeah, <laughs> optimize. <laughs> and we also have a tutoring platform, which is Jamur Tutoring. Jamur Tutoring Platform, the only platform which connects teachers and students easily together for guidance and, and you know, thesis and all those kind of stuff. And that's online. And also we don't have a physical office space anymore because of COVID, you know, we had significant loss of income, which we needed to uh, get rid of our office space, but we will get back with that part. And Ruiz Carterejo, they can find me on the platform, on platforms like Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, also Twitter, but you can follow me on Instagram on, on, on Facebook and the other platforms just on Ruiz Carterejo. Let's connect. If you really want those opportunities, if you really want those with scholarships, I'm there to support. And yeah, what they can expect, a lot of things, a lot of things regarding students, regarding business, corporate from Ruiz itself. People can count for me that I will still be sharing all those opportunities and even thinking about coaching people and how to do this with a little incentive, you know, for my time and effort to guide you and to be, to get selected. So that's those are kind of the stuff that people can look out for. Awesome. We're closing it off with Big Up from Jern. And with that, we're closing off this conversation of Social Confos. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Ruiz. Thank you, Diego. And we will be back with Social Confos next week. Same place, same time. Bye-bye.